Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Hi, my name is Adam Homey. I am your host and I am honored by your wise decision and tune in and invest in us in yourself today. And we are going to be discussing a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. I touch on several themes related to this topic in my book of being a corporate employee, of having my own business, having team members, being a team member, and being on so many different sides of the vendor resource continuum and the employer-employee continuum, I find it so important to have a radically engaged team supporting your company or organization. And yet, the challenge is, so many companies either aren't doing this at all or they're following a script that is not necessarily attuned to what they need to be doing to create their radically engaged teams. We have some issues we want to bifurcate. We have some things we want to go through to give you sort of a roadmap or at least some pointers on how to do this. And to guide us through that today, I have with us, with, I have with us Rich Allen of TourDeProfit.com. Let me tell you a little bit about Rich. He's a nationally renowned speaker whose primary mission and purpose are focused on one single objective, which is to help business owners engage and activate the power of their team. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about his story in a moment, but let me just tell you up front that during his 30 plus years in the industry, he's gathered knowledge and expertise that allows him to inform business leaders on how to energize their team and transform their business into one that is profitable sustainable and driven by radically engaged team members in a way that's as easy as riding a bike. Hey, one of the things I can still do is ride a bike. I, I've actually proven that to be factual in many cases. Uh, years would go by and I'd be able to get right back on a bike and pick up where I left off. So they're right about that one. At any rate, Rich Allen, come on in. The weather's fine. Thanks, Adam. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, the pleasure's all mine, and we're going to have such a great time with this topic. But before we do, I know that there are some listeners right now who are leaning in. They're opening separate browser tabs, and they're going to that website, tourdeprofit.com, and they're binging the Yahoo out of Google's looking for a guy named Rich Allen who covers this topic. So what I'd like to do is take a step back. Tell us a little bit, Rich, about your journey and what has brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, I'd be glad to, Adam. Um, you know, I'm, this, is, this is for me a passion. Um, I started my business journey with my dad. Um, I I come from a very large family. I've got 11 brothers and sisters. And so my dad was probably the hardest working guy I've ever met in my life. Can imagine. Um, he was constantly working two or three jobs, um, doing everything just to, just to make ends meet in the family. Um, and when he was 34 years old, my dad uh, made a bold decision to quit his 
his jobs, he had three at the time, quit his jobs and start his own business. And I remember thinking, and, and now I see it, that my dad had a dream. He had a vision. He wanted to build a business and leave a legacy for his eight sons. And so he took a used van, put a, the stencil the side, did the car wrap of the 1970s, and opened his own window washing business. And Adam, my dad was, my dad was hands down the best window washer you could find. Unbelievable. Um, great with customers, very detail-minded, hardworking, but had no clue how to run a business. Wow. And so for years, thought that just hard work was going to make the day or was going to help him make this thing work. And it never did. And so for year after year after year, we just struggled in his business. For me, it felt like a hundred years, but it was, I was only working with him for about four or five before I went off to college. But my dad stayed in it, um, worked in it every day of his life from that point on, wouldn't quit, um, tried everything, was convinced, very optimistic, thought he could figure it out. Um, but through the process, missed all of his kids growing up years, never did anything with his wife, ended up uh, getting a divorce, ended up an alcoholic. And Adam, my dad, died on the, day, on the same day that he washed windows. Um, and that memory just kind of haunts me that he did what most everybody does. And that's, they want to start their own business. They want to do something special, follow their dream, have their passion. And he never got to enjoy it. And yeah. so for me, the burning question was why, right? Uh -huh. And so I took that and I, I got lucky. I got, I got a chance to go to college and went into, I went into the military for a time, took a corporate job, um, rose up through the corporate ranks to a point where I was running a business myself. And, but the whole time I was doing that, I was thinking and always talking with my dad and just wondering, what, what is it that's, that's missing? What did, he, what did he get wrong? And so I've just become a student of business as a result. And, um, and that's kind of what's led me to do and what I do today. Rich, that is quite a story. And you know, we've had people on Business Creators Radio Show, and I've had some clients that have stories that are actually not too far removed from that, some of the elements. In one case, uh, we have a previous client who's also a guest on Business Creators Radio Show, and she was one of nine children in her family. Uh, actually, it was a total of nine children between her father's two marriages. She was one of the kids from the second marriage. And this story was somewhat similar. You have a man who was uh, working several different jobs simultaneously to make ends meet. There were a lot of things missed out. There was a sense of a struggle. Uh, there may have been the love that comes from having an especially large family and being part of one. And it's a very unique mix. So I have, at least from a secondhand perspective, a unique appreciation for what you had coming up. I also understand that you know, for myself, I had sort of an entrepreneurial bug very early on. When I was growing up, I could not wait until summer vacation. Aside from the fact that I hated school, candidly, what I was looking forward to was getting my little lawnmower and having a little grass cutting business going. Uh, something about that I just really enjoyed doing. Unfortunately, yeah. we lived in an area that was so rural that if your neighbor had 
your neighbor had a rooster, you wouldn't hear cock-a-doodle-doodling in the morning. So there was only so much I could do with my little push mower. I wasn't afraid of pushing that little push mower up the rural road three miles to do a job, but there just weren't that many of them around. My regret about uh, growing up in a highly rural area uh, really had nothing to do with the fact that there were no other kids around. It's that there were no other yards around. I could have been making money with my lawnmower. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And when I, tur- when I turned 16, I couldn't wait to get a car. Uh, the real reason, the driving reasons, I wanted to get my own job and buy my own clothes. When I was in college as a poli-sci major at Penn State, I had term papers due. I'm a master of writing the ultimate term paper the evening before it's due and getting an A on it. I'm really good at that. And good thing because the rest of the time, I was hovering in the computer lab studying some of the early e-commerce websites in industries like um, health foods and competition auto sound, other words, putting a system in your car, and thinking yeah. about how I could get a piece of that for myself. So that's what really drove me all along. And yeah. I saw in your father somebody who decided that his intersection of his brilliance and his passion was taking the American dream, pulling his slice out of the pan, and enjoying it, savoring it, and having some to share for his children. So he started his window washing business. And you've shared near the end of your story that unfortunately, the man probably just didn't know what he didn't know and didn't know what questions to ask. If you, Rich, are any indication, uh, because a man is often a reflection of his father, your father was a great man, a very kind man, a very considerate man, and somebody who had a deep appreciation for nuances. But yet, he kind of missed that. So looking back at your father's story, and perhaps even looking back at your own story, what are some of those things that perhaps, if you look at it through your father's eyes, what is it that he didn't know that he didn't know? And what questions did he not know that he was even supposed to ask? Yeah, that's a, that's a insightful question, Adam. I, you know, the, you are right. My, my dad was, a, my dad was you know, deeply passionate and, you know, he was committed. He had a big family, but he wasn't the kind of guy who was going to, you know, let the government help or, or deal with that. He was determined to do whatever it took to take care of this family that he had birthed and, and grown. Um, yeah. But as many business owners I find do, because I find my dad everywhere, very honest, he thought the answer was simply to work harder. That, that if he put more hours in, if he spent more time on it, if he worked on the weekends, um, if he, you know, if he saved money here and there and did things himself, then all that would, would roll up into a business that really worked. And so what my dad didn't know was the same thing I didn't know at the time. Look, I was a kid. I was 15, 16 years old. I'm, I'm just doing what I'm told. In fact, I was slave labor, right? We didn't get paid. We just went to work because we were part of the part of the process to put food on the table. Understood. So I wasn't doing it for the money. I was doing it because dad got my butt up out of bed. But, and I didn't know what was, I didn't know that there were, that the idea of having systems or processes or um, using something other than a bank account to figure out whether you're making money or not is a good idea. I didn't know about marketing strategies um, I didn't know about how you built compensation systems to motivate and inspire people to do good work. We simply washed windows. That was it. And, and so that was the, 
you know, I think the thing, you're right, that my dad didn't know what he didn't know. And all he knew was, I'm good, I'm fast, I'm a hard worker, people like me, and so I'll do anything, right? He, one of his downfalls was he did, did anything. If you needed a gutters cleaned, we cleaned gutters. If you needed the shutters painted, we painted shutters. If you needed the, tarway, the driveway tarred, we tarred the driveway. Oh, so, it, rather than having an alliance with the guy who has the tar truck or having an alliance with the gutter cleaner where he worked as a team and cross-referred. He just uh, added right. it to his own plate of services without, a, without an expansion plan is what I'm hearing. Right. Looking back on it, all we, I mean, we spent as much time going to the store to get supplies for the new deal that my dad made with somebody than we did actually doing the job. Right, and, where you know, what I think, yeah, right. No way to run a business. Is, I know. Whereas what I'm thinking is, if your dad, even if he was following the path of, I can do anything. So he's washing the the, the homeowner's windows, and they start to have a conversation about their their dried up, cracked up driveway. And he says, "Oh, I can I can reseal your driveway too." Uh, he was probably thinking getting the equipment and sealing the driveway himself. Whereas an entrepreneur uh, who at least knew what questions to ask or knew what they didn't know would think, sure, I'll say yes to that deal. And I know how much the local ceiling guy does. So I'll charge what he charges plus 10%, hire him to do it and make 10% for a handshake. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't do that. Yeah. We did not do that. Um, and, you know, the stories go on and on and on, right? It was, but, but I, I think it just does come down to the fact that, you know, the only thing he figured was, look, I'm there. I can help. I know how to do it. He didn't price things right. He priced them the way he felt about them. And we were from a poor family. So when you, when you think in poor terms, you price in poor terms. Ah, that's an aha right there. Yeah. And that, and that's right? so, if you and have that a mindset, so if, yeah, if you have a mindset that things, you know, some things are very expensive, there's no way you're going to ask for what your value is. And my dad, oftentimes, we, we would do a lot of jobs. And sure, we made some money on it because it was just labor. But arguably, the value given was 10 times the price he charged. You know, um, you raised such a good point. That's why I sort of interjected there and said, look, an aha moment. When entrepreneurs are in cash flow mode, they are actually more likely to make deals, give discounts that they know they shouldn't be given because they're basically going into slave labor mode to even deliver it. And then they'll add 20 different add-on features that they didn't need to add on. I had uh, an experience with my coach maybe about five or six years ago when I was in a different business and I was still doing projects, estimates and things like that. And I, and I went to my client and I, and my coach and I said, you know, I'm about to bid this project. And once again, I'm having that issue in my head of, do I really even want to be in this business that, you know, me and my coach have been speaking about? Cause this was during a period in my life where, as I've said on business creators radio many times, I was still figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And uh, I, I showed my client, my coach, the, the, the estimate and the agreement that I was going to send to my prospect. And he went and he found all kinds of things. He, he, he printed out a copy of it and he just started scratching things out that I had said I was going to do. Just started scratching them out. And then he went to the pricing section 
and scratched out the prices and just wrote in numbers that were literally twice the amount that I had been planning to charge. And he gave yep. me a bold assignment, which was to reopen my master Word document, make the edits that he made, removing all that extra stuff, removing some of those things, uh, and doubling the price. Now, the only quibble I had with that is there were two things my client had scratched out, which were two things that my prospect had asked for. Uh, so I left those in. But aside from that, I did exactly as my coach said. And I sent that to my prospect. The very next thing I heard from them was my phone ringing the next morning. And it's like, hi, Adam. Uh, hey, I just uh, wanted to let you know that I just wrote back to you saying yes on the project. And you said I could call to give you my credit card to pay all up, and for, all up front. They didn't question the project. They didn't question the price. Yeah. Because what my coach was showing me is already I've done the important part is making the prospect feel like they were going to get the value they were paying for. That is so true. That is so, so true. I got twice the money for doing two thirds of the work. Yep. But so often we're so fearful, right? Our, our decisions are driven by fear. And so we're for, so fearful, we'd rather have some business than none that we discount our value and, and just give away resource that we, that we otherwise, that otherwise people would be more than willing to pay for. Correct. Particularly if we provide a good product and service. That's right. Right. Which you do. If you don't, if you don't, then go fix that. Go fix yeah. that first. Yeah. Agreed. So Rich, um, you know, we are just, time is flying here. And I knew we would because you yeah. and I have so much brilliance and passion around this topic. And I know there's a few things that we discussed before we went live that we really wanted to cover. And the first one is in your coaching and your teaching, you frequently use the phrase, it's as easy as riding a bike. So how is riding a bike a great metaphor for business? And why is it important to creating a radically engaged team? Well, let me tell you how that, how that came to be, um, Adam, real quick. I'll, I'll kind of flip you through this. But, right. you know, in my journey, I, I, worked, as a, I worked in, a, um, in many functional roles in bigger corporations. And I always saw how, you know, the team was really, in, in large companies, let's be honest, many people leave corporate America because it's a little bit, um, you know, it's just impersonal and you don't get to really create that excitement as a team member. Uh-huh. I, so I said, man, I'd love to try this myself. I'd love to run a business myself. And I finally ended up working for a company that, where the CEO said, yeah, I'll, that'll work. If, let's just see how things go. So one day, my boss came in, and um, I was living in Iowa at the time. My boss came into my office. He had a key in his hand. And we had just bought, we just acquired a small manufacturing firm based in Minnesota, and he gave me the, he walked in, he said, Rich, this one's yours. He gave me the key and basically said, you can go run this business. So I got excited. We moved my family up to Minnesota. Um, it was a small, smallish manufacturing business. We, we were doing about, they were doing about $30 million in revenue, had about 220 people in the business. Uh -huh. And I was just fired up. So I walked into the business for the very first time. And as soon as I walked in, I realized I didn't have a clue what I was going to do to make this business better. I was scared to death. 
And there wasn't much I could do other than just fake it. So for weeks, I walked around just trying to think, man, how am I going to, you know, what is that? All I saw were, were piles of, of inventory and equipment and, and machinery and people. And, and, and I really didn't know. And then um, I had this idea. And Adam, you know where, all, where do all the best ideas come from, right? When you're where not you in the them? office. Yeah, you're not in the office. In fact, you're in the shower. Yes. Right? So I was in the shower one morning and I had this idea and I thought, oh, I got it. And, and so I called my admin and I said, let's call a meeting, have all the team members come together. So we got both first and second shift to come in at the same time. We cleared out a part of the factory and I brought my bicycle in to, the, uh, to, the, to work and I stood it on a table at the front of the room. And when I got everybody's attention, I stood in front of the bike and I turned around and I said, guys, what's this? And I pointed to the bike. And everybody looked at me like I had lost my mind. And they thought they had, that someone had sent him a nutcase to run this business. And they, they just, a couple of guys said, eh, it's a bike. A couple of guys in the back of the room said, it's stolen property. And I convinced them that it was mine. Uh, but I said, look, guys, this isn't a bike. This is our business. And if we could all just understand how our business is like this bike, we could tune this thing up and we could make it go really fast. And so I took them on a lap around the bike, gave them my idea of how a bike is like a business. And Adam, for the first time, these guys that were in the factory, while they didn't know how a business worked, Everybody knows how a bike works, and they got it. And at the end of the meeting, they all started coming up to me and saying, hey, I, I know what's wrong with our back wheel. I, I understand what's wrong with the frame. I know where we're rubbing. I know what's, you know, what's loose here. And, and we use the bike to kind of work on the business and then start making the business better, tuning it up. And yeah. just – you know, fast, I'll fast forward to the end. But seven years later, we went from $30 million in revenue to $150 million in revenue. We had 400 employees, and we owned the top end of our market category. And everybody in the business could relate to where they fit into the business based on using the bike metaphor. Wow. That is really that's so simple. I mean, it's, it's such a minimalist concept when you think about it, riding a bike. We all know what bicycles are, and most of us have ridden bicycles. Part of our formative experience was learning how to ride a bike the day the training wheels came off. Those initial scrapes that taught us the importance of balance and how to maintain balance. Those little tricks we did that we ended up with skin knees over. I mean, it's, it's, exactly. it's the quintessential thing. And taking a business, whether it's the manufacturing business that you've been brought on to run or any other business and applying it to the concept of how to ride a bike. Because think about it, if you're a bicycle owner and you want your bicycle to be more enjoyable to ride, to get more speed, more traction going up hills, better braking, what do you do? You go to the bike shop, you buy some better brakes, you get some new tires. And then if you want to ride it at night, you get a nice headlight and a nice, some nice taillights. You might put some decals on it or paint it a different color. You might get a custom seat. You're doing things that just make the thing look better, feel better, and perform better. 
can you do that yeah. with pretty much any business? I think as yeah, a general Adam, rule, with all things being equal, yes. Yeah. That's the amazing thing, right? I didn't know what I was on to at the time. And it does seem simplistic, right? I've, I've listened to a few other episodes, and I know you have on some very sophisticated, educated guests. And, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to come on and talk with them, and I'm going to use this simple methodology to explain business. And I hope I don't disappoint with that. But <laughs> Rich, the rea- my, my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, is all about applying minimalism to achieve maximum results. So yeah. this is exactly but, the type of message we look for. Yeah. Well, look, here's the deal, Adam. It's, you know, the thing I came to realize is that most of us in business talk way over our employees or our team members. And, and we talk in terms of strategy and, and um, you know, just big things that we learned in college. When many people in business, I don't care what business you're in, but whether it's the front desk clerk, the person on the shipping dock, whatever it might be, but they, they don't have those concepts. So my thought about engaging the team was, how do I talk in language that they understand? And that's where the bike, I think, is just, it's magical because we all do. You, you gave your experiences of riding a bike. We all have them. We all can remember back to the day and where we were and who was with us when yes. we learned how to ride a bike. It's that, it's that deep in our memory. And we've all been on bikes that we didn't enjoy riding. They were either out of alignment, the seat was positioned wrong, right? If you've ridden a bike with yep. a seat in the wrong place, it is painful. Uh, but sometimes it, riding yeah, it a business, <laughs> it, yeah, it's right. It is. But, and, and guess what? It's the same in our business. If we don't, as business owners, position the seat right, our people have this really uncomfortable ride. And what do they do if it's uncomfortable? They either they quit off. working hard. Or they, they, they either quit or they quit working hard and stay. And to me, if you want to ask me, the worst is when they stop working hard, but they stay. And I will tell right. you candidly, I worked in a business environment where there were only so many times that I could show brilliance and passion. And I could show a willingness to contribute. And I could show innovation only to be again reminded of my lowly place on some org chart. And, you know, it eventually got to the point where it's like, you know what? My future is not here. I'm not moving up in this. I, I, this is not where I'm spending my life. So I don't have another job yet. Uh, or in, this, in my case, it turned out I have this business I'm starting, but I'm not ready to jump all the way into it yet. I'm still building it to the point where I can move it from side hustle to daily. Uh, but I'll tell you something right now is, I'm going to do a competent job here, but I'll tell you, every time I have any questions, I'm going back and checking my job description, seeing if it's on there. Yeah. And I'm showing, I'm showing up at eight and I'm leaving at four every day, taking my full hour for lunch and my two 15 minute breaks. And during that time, I'll be uh, doing stuff to grow my business. So I I did a competent job. the The company got what they paid for, but they missed out. If you, if you understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's a large percentage of employees or team members who are in that mode. Yeah. Um, 
you know, who are actively, I mean, as statistics are, I think it's over, over 50% of people currently in jobs today are actively looking for their next opportunity. One and so the, anybody listening got, has got to say, holy cow, that's yeah. half of my workforce. Exactly. So how do we move from people mailing it in from their cubicle to being radically engaged? We're about halfway through here. Let's get to this. How are we creating these radically engaged teams? What are the things we need to look for to know that there's opportunities for growth? What are the steps we need to take and how do we liberate people to work within our organizations at their intersection of their brilliance and passion and put it to work so it benefits them and it benefits us? Right. So let's start with a couple ideas, Adam, here, because I think we have start where it's most important, particularly for business owners, because many business owners end up doing a lot of things in their business and they're not the right things. And so in my mind, I think there's one fundamental role that a business owner needs to own. And that is they need to steer their bike. And here's the reality. When we were kids, and you said it while you were going, we did tricks on bikes. And we were cool kids if we could ride our bike with no hands. Right? Uh -huh. That's what made us, that, that made us like part of the cool group. Yep. The reality is many of us as business owners are still riding our bikes with no hands. And what we need to do is put our hands firmly on the handlebars and steer the business where we want it to go. And so what does that take? In my mind, it takes strong leadership and it takes a compelling vision. And we've got to be able to articulate to our team what we want this business to look like in five years, three years, five years, you pick the time, I don't care. But in the future, so that people can say, yes, I want to be a part of this. I want to help you make that happen. And we all start in business having that really clearly in our mind. But as we get into business, we get so ingrained in the day-to-day -day detail of the business, we stop talking about it. And the people that come alongside us, they see it, like you said, as, as a Groundhog Day experience. Today yep. is just like yesterday. Next week will be like this week. Next month will be like this month because they don't know and don't see where we're going as a business. As a business owner, we have to get, we have to be passionate about that. We have to talk about it in constantly. We have to, it, we've got to find multiple ways to share that with enthusiasm so that people get excited about being on the team. Wow. That's good. That's, I mean, yeah, because for a minute, it's fun to ride the bike with no hands. Like, look, no hands. But right. that's not a sustainable strategy. I mean, if I'm doing no, if on those case, in those occasions, I was doing no hands. I was usually on a flat surface. It was pretty smooth. And uh, right. it was on a bike path and not on the side of the road. So I was pretty safe with no hands. I was, I was taking informed chances. But if there was a curve coming up or there was a bump or there was an incline or a decline, my hands were going back on those handles. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there's step one, right? Step one is to do that. But then some people say, okay, yeah, that's great. And that's, you know, that's maybe a little bit rah-rah. You know, some people don't buy into the Oprah you know, idea of, 
you know, just state it and claim it and you'll get it kind of a thing. And I don't yep. either. But it's, it's important to tell the story and get people to follow you, right? People love a story and they love to be part of a journey. So we got to do that. But then the second thing we have to do is we have to work on the frame of the bike because the frame of the white of the bike is what holds everything together. Everything connects to the frame. So what's the frame in our business? Well, the frame in our business is our organization structure, our job responsibilities, and our accountability system. And so as a business owner, we've got to define those things. We've got to share them and make sure that they're absolutely solid in our business. And here's, Adam, where I tell people to start. Just really practical. Draw your org chart as, as if the, visualizing your business three years in the future. So in other words, don't draw the org chart of today and don't draw the org chart by person, draw the org chart by function. So every function that happens gets a box. And okay. we build it we build it for all the boxes that we're going to need and want to have in three years. So we may have four people on the team today, but we'll have eight boxes. And in three years, we probably will have 15 boxes. Build 15 boxes in your org chart. And then show your team the org chart of the future. And I, I, I will tell you, I had one client, just real quickly, I'll tell a quick story, that that it was an architect firm. He'd been in business 30 years. He had about 35 employees. We went through this exercise on what he wanted a business to look like in five years. We built an org chart that had 65 boxes on it. It was, had divisions and segments in his business in five years. He put it up in the, on the wall, told his team, here's what I want the business to look like. And then he did the magic trick. He, he pulled out a, a, a felt tip pen and he said, at the end of the meeting, I want each one of you to go up and put your name in the box that you want to be in in five years. And everybody on the team got to put their name in whatever box they were passionate about aspiring to be in. And in that instant, everybody was bought into the future. And that business owner knew what conversations to have with his team members the next time they did their performance reviews to tell them the skills, the knowledge, the experiences they had to have in order to be ready for that job they wanted. You know what I was thinking of when you said that is here in the United States, and uh, this is where we're located here in the United States, we have in our government, I love looking for parallels between business and other things, whether it's entertainment, pop culture, government, politics, uh, music, I've come up with all kinds of different parallels. We're used to the idea that we have uh, an elected president who is also the head of government, and they have a cabinet where there are, I forget how many agencies there are, but I think it's like 18 or 19, and each one of those is headed by one person. And what we don't think about often enough when we're comparing ourselves to other countries is that in other countries... And you'll see where I'm going with this in one second, Rich. And for our listeners, you'll see this as well. They have a situation where they have a head of state who could be a monarch, could be, who could be an elected president, or who could be a selected president. They have a head of government who's a prime minister. They have X number of cabinet agencies, which are called portfolios. So you have minister of this, and that's a portfolio. And let's say there are 19 of them in that system as well. 
What you'll find in many cases is that your prime ministers, in addition to being head of governments, will also hold a couple of those portfolios simultaneously. Does uh, like does uh, anybody realize without me telling them that the prime minister of the United Kingdom simultaneously holds three portfolios in his own government, and that's just it, that's just it is automatically and. Uh, how many folks realize that the Prime Minister of Israel also holds three portfolios in his own government? And where I'm no going clue. with it, yeah, where I'm going with this is in those systems, they don't focus strictly on the person. They focus on the competency and fulfilling that competency. And where does it make the most sense for which person to do it? So if you are building an org chart for three years out, you are building 15 or 45 competencies on your org chart, but you only have 18 people. Obviously, those competencies uh, are going to be shared where one person is going to hold more than one. And the leader of the organization may also double as heading some of those competencies. So it allows for that sense of development of I'm doing this and I also have the ability to grow into this and I also have the ability to be this. Right. That's a good point. That's very true. And, you know, here's the other reality is many people do fill two boxes because they do di two different roles, uh, um, but they don't get recognized as, as having done that. And so it doesn't take long for somebody to feel like they're not being rewarded or recognized or appreciated. So one easy way to do that is show them on the org chart multiple times. Yeah. Until you get to the point where you can grow to the point where you can have one person per box and each box has a different person in it. Yeah. I, and I, and I love that approach because you also heard me say earlier, I got discouraged by having it pointed out to me over and over again, how, what a low position I held in this thing called an org chart. It's because the way, the way that was being communicated, it was being based on the individual and somebody else's assessment of their capabilities, as opposed to value that was available for the organization to tap into. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I think that's a critical piece, Adam. I think you got to you have to paint the vision. You got to build the structure properly. Each one of those boxes on the org chart needs to have a single page document attached to it that is basically what I call a position agreement, which says it outlines three things. It says this is what this role or this box is responsible for. This is how this box is going to be measured. And these are the behaviors that we need and expect for anybody who holds this position. And I think when we share those three things with everybody on the team, then they can own it. Because they know clearly what's expected of them in terms of what they're responsible for, how they're going to be measured, and the behaviors that we want to see. Very true. So where do we go from there now that we have this uh, competency-based org chart that's future-facing? Right. So then, then I think, you know, here's the, here's the reality. I know that you focus a lot on or that you're, you guys talk a lot about the marketing stuff, right? The front wheel of the bike is all about how we win new customers. So that's about understanding our customers and 
getting our message to them in a good way and taking them through a, a very sustainable and, and explainable sales process, those kinds of things. The back wheel represents our delivery of our product or service. So it's the, it's the fulfillment of the promise we make on the front wheel. And, and so we have to have the, that's got to be driven by processes. We've got to have ability to scale that up and down based on seasonality or growth of business. That's why there are gears in the back of the bike. So we just, we have to, and people need to understand where they fit and how that, those all relate to the structure in the business. But, but Adam, the biggest thing from a people standpoint and, a, and a, getting people engaged in the business, we mentioned it earlier, was getting the seat positioned properly. Because the seat is not where the business owner sits, it's where the team members sit. You know, if you're, if you're familiar with any kind of cycling team, um, if you watch the Tour de France, which is my favorite sport, by the way, yeah. um, you know, the, the owner of the team doesn't ride a bike. The owner of the team is in a car on a, on a headset, on the phone, talking in people's ears who are riding, the team members riding the bike, telling them, pick up the pace, there's a turn coming ahead, right? We're gaining on them, those kinds of things, giving them instruction from the car. Where it's most perfect. business yeah. owners think their job is to get on the bike and pedal, and it's not. Yes, think about, um, think about a football team, for instance. Um, the coach is usually on the sidelines with a headset and yelling at the refs when they think the refs made a bad call. That's right. They're not out there scoring the touchdowns. The owner is, if they're even in the stadium at that time, they're in the owner's box and they're simply observing. Maybe they will attempt to call down to the coach and try and direct the coach what to do. And if that coach knows what they're doing, they will tell that owner to hang the effing phone up and don't ever call again. That's if the coach right. knows what they're doing because it's not the owner's job to have anything to do with the game plan, game play or the game plan. It's the owner's job to manage the franchise and its marketing and make it profitable. That's right. And so what we have to do, though, as an owner is we have to position the seat so that it's very comfortable and perfectly suited to our team. And that we do that through the way we hire people, our onboarding process, how we compensate people, our reward structure, how we communicate with folks, how we engage them in activities, um, in team building activities, those kinds of things. That's all about positioning the seat so that people can say, man, this is a comfortable ride. I'm going to pedal hard for you. I like it. And, and Adam, here's the, here's the part that for me has been the most exciting, right? I've used this bike uh, metaphor for 14 years. Um, and, but I've had a couple, of, a, a couple of my clients that went through some rough spots and I was figuring out, I was trying to figure out what did I miss? What, what's not accounted for? And as it turns out, what's interesting is we can do everything on the bike to make it work for somebody. But the feedback we get from our team members on whether they like what we built as a bike is how hard they will pedal. So the, the front sprocket of the bike, the pe where the pedals are, is the feedback mechanism we get 
from our team that tells us whether they like our vision, they get our structure, the, the compensation program works, our marketing strategies are working, our processes are working in terms of delivery, all that, we get the feedback by how hard people are pedaling with us. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. In business, we give performance reviews to our team members. Sometimes, some businesses don't, but many do it at least once a year. But most businesses never get feedback from their team. And I think that's the missing link, is to get the team to tell the owner, here's what I like, or here's what's working for me, here's, here's what is getting me fired up, or here's what's getting me frustrated. And once we have that, then we can know whether we have a radically engaged team or not. Rich. Um, but without it, we're guessing. We're guessing. Um, something just pinged for me here. Inside my book and also in some of my teachings, and I've done uh, live streams and actual trainings on this, is how to run effective meetings using minimalist principles. And one of the first things that we coach people to do when running meetings is, well, there are two things, and they tie back to some of the things we've covered in the past 10 minutes. First of all, understand the role of the people in the meetings. We have this leaning towards in, in, inclusivity where they want to make sure that everybody has a choice, chance to make their voice heard. And what that leads to a lot of times is people just talking so they can talk. I right. love the reaction I get when I'm in some meeting, whether it's a virtual meeting or an in-person meeting, and eventually they come around to me and, they, and, uh, and I give a one-word answer. And they look at me in shock, like, wait a minute, who gives a one-word answer? Me, because no, I don't have anything to add. Yes, I think that what that person said is fine. I don't need three paragraphs to say yes or no. So the first thing we look at, and we, right. we covered this when we were looking at, um, you know, which wheel does which function and the player, the coordinator, the coach, the owner, is you look at who's in the meeting. You have, you have the leader and the co-leader because you have to have a co-leader because the leader runs late. You still want that meeting running on time. Then you have the participants. These are the people who have a speaking role in the meeting. Then you have the observers. These are the people who don't have to say anything. In fact, don't need to say anything. They're there because they're to be in the loop. And in many cases, these are the folks where you just make a recording of the meeting and hold them responsible for listening to it. And there's only one other really category really we look for is the second. And what I mean by the second is, Rich, let's say you and I were part of a team. And, uh, you know, we were both in the R&D department. So you're the head of R&D. So you attend the meeting as the head of R&D. So you speak for R&D in that meeting. I go with you as your second, which means I sit next to you. I usually don't say anything unless you turn to me and ask me to fill in some blanks. And the other reason I'm there is in case you can't make it, I'm up to speed on speaking for R&D, and I'm recognized in that meeting as the R&D authority in Rich Allen's absence. So that's the first thing you look at in your meetings is who actually needs to speak where the roles. The second is, instead of having meetings be a place where people just talk and talk and talk and talk and, and, uh, and take up their time telling us about recent history, and this is the way 
I've done it, is within 48 hours before the meeting is to begin, everybody who has a leadership or a participation role in the meeting, go back to those roles I identified, will submit something, and it usually, it's, you know, an email with bullet points is fine, doesn't have to be a novel. In fact, it shouldn't be a novel. It covers three things. Here's what I'm working on. Here are questions I have and support I need. And here are my ideas for enhancing and moving the organization forward. So the reason this pinged me when you shared that, Rich, is I thought, if we're giving feedback to the owner, giving feedback to the manager, we could use that same model. So when you give feedback to the manager, you tell that manager or that owner, you say, hey, this is what I'm working on. This is where I have questions and need support. And these are my ideas for moving the organization forward. I'll turn this back to you in 10 seconds, but I just want to make one point. If the owner sees what people are reporting they're working on and has a lot of questions like, whoever said we needed to work on that, that right there highlights an alignment issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's, uh, you're right. And look, it doesn't, I don't think it has to be really complicated. But you know, again, I think of um, I think of that front sprocket of a bike. If anybody's visualizing their bike right now, they know that they probably have two big gears, maybe three big gears on the front sprocket of their bike, right? Yep. Do you remember whether you have two or three? Uh, I, candidly, I, I, use, I don't have a bike right now. I can't remember if it had two or three. I okay. remember the sprockets. That's all okay, I Okay, well, there you go. Well, I use, I use three in my metaphor. And I use three because it's, it's almost like dealing with the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We all start, if you, everybody knows that pyramid, the fundamental way to think about it is the base of the pyramid is all about my needs, me. Am I safe? Do I have food? Do I have shelter? It's all about me. I got I to gotta be safe and secure myself. And then if I'm good with that, then I can move up a, a level and I can worry about we, meaning those close around me, my family, my close friends, my coworkers, and make sure that that's good. And if, that, if, I, if I'm good there, then I can go to the third level and I can do good in society. I can do good for others. That's our customer or in the community, the things we do outside to make a difference. I think those relate to the three rings on our front sprocket of the bike. The small ring is the me ring. If I'm on that small ring, I'm worried about making sure I'm okay. But once I get that, then I can gear up to the second ring and I can work with my team. And if I, things are in harmony with my team and we're working together and I've got a good relationship and we're helping each other and supporting each other, then I'm good and I can gear up to the third big, the, the big ring, and go really fast by working to make my customer successful. And so the question in business is, where are your people in terms of what's going on in their head? Are they worried about themselves? Are there issues in the team? Or are they working on behalf of their customer to really drive their customer's success? And when that happens, the business goes incredibly fast. Does that make sense? Dollars and cents, literally. Yeah, dollars and cents. 
It's huge. But our people are constantly saying things to themselves in their head. They're either saying things like, I love it here. My work is meaningful, right? I've been given all the tools I have for success. I have a coach or mentor helping me, right? Or they're saying things like, I don't respect my leaders, or I don't really understand what's expected of me, or I don't understand how they make compensation decisions around here, right? There are things that going on, and we somehow as business owners, we've got to pause long enough to ask those questions of our team and then fix what's broken. Agreed. So we're uh, near the top of this. Um, I'm going to turn over the floor to you in a moment because I know you have something for our listeners. But if uh, you were working with somebody right now, Rich, who was coming to you and they wanted your help to create a radically engaged team, just right off the top, what would be the first thing you advise them to look at? Because I want our listeners to have something they can jump right off this and start working on right now. Well, the first thing I'd, I'd find out is whether you've drawn out, written out, scripted out what you really want this business to become in the future. Because honestly, many of us haven't taken the time to, to write down on paper what, we, what our dream and hope for the business is. And without that, how do you even know where you want to go? Right. You've heard it said that, you know, many people make more plans for their vacation than they do for their next year in business. Yeah. So, you know, if somebody wants to, if they want to first fix their business, the first fundamental question is, where are you going? What's the plan? What could this thing be like if we got it right? Because then we can start figuring out where you would start where on the bike would you start making the adjustments and the tweaks to tune it up and make it get there i can give i can give you uh one other variation to that analogy is let's say yeah. that you wanted to uh you wanted to go to you wanted to go get some ice cream and it's a nice day and you want to ride your bike so if you have no map you don't know where the ice cream store is how you getting there what do you do? Just ride your bike and hope you run into one? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it goes back to that same thing. Without yeah. having the map or a set of directions, EO, knowing you may need to adjust those due to changes in the map or unexpected detours or things like that, you don't know where you're going. You ain't going to get your ice cream unless you get yeah. real lucky and ice cream just happens to show up at, at your door. <laughs> so, uh, right. so, Rich, I want to really express my appreciation to you. This has been an honor and it's been an education and I I've loved our exchange of ideas. Now, before we go, you mentioned to me before we got started, you have a little gift for our listeners who want to explore further. So if you could share that with us, that'd be great. Well, what I've done, Adam is uh, yeah, I mean, well, look, I'm, I'm honored to be on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been a blast. And as you can tell, I love this, and I can, I can sense your passion. <laughs> it's clear, um, and, and that's why you do what you do. Um, but, yeah, I did, you know, what I did is we put together just a, we, we put together a page on our, our website that's for your listeners, and, and basically we've just loaded on it some free things that they might want to take advantage of, some, some tips, some tools, some, some um uh, just some activities that they could that they can just have access to for free. It's right there. They can see it. All they have to do is go to 
tourtoprofit.com. It's one word, tourtoprofit, T-O-U-R-D-E-P-R-O-F-I-T.com backslash BCR for Business Creators Radio, BCR. Go there. There, it's We've loaded some stuff up for you. You're welcome to take advantage of it. There's a bunch of free stuff on my site. Hope it helps. Outstanding. That's tourdeprofit.com forward slash BCR. Again, Rich Allen right. of tourdeprofit.com. It's been a blast having you with us here today at Business Creators Radio. Thanks, Adam. All right. For, and for everybody listening, I trust you've enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Take a moment, check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.